0: The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, church. I want to say to all those who are here, those who are joining us online, if you're visiting today, welcome. May the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you this morning. We are a church that's being transformed to the image of Christ so that anyone can find their way to God. And we do that three ways. We gather in the name of the Father like we do here this morning. We grow into the image of His Son, and we go by the power of the Spirit. And one of the ways that we're gathering this year is this next Saturday, Neighbor Fest, on Saturday, March 25th from 3 to 5 p.m., There's a QR code if you want to scan the QR code. There's going to be food, there's going to be music, there's going to be entertainment. You'll park out here. We're going to meet in the back. This is an opportunity for you to invite your friends and neighbors to join us as we gather in the name of the Father, because we believe that God is gathering all creation, and he's beginning with his people, not just here, but around the world, but in particular communities like this. To gather around good food, good fellowship, and lots of love. For that is God's future, that He's gonna gather us all up. So don't forget, Neighbor Fest, Saturday, March 25th. Please remember to invite your friends and your neighbors. We are in a series in our year of gather called One in Christ, a call to unity. And our text that we are reciting together is from Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6. So if you guys would stand with me. We'll read this together. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, as always, we give you thanks for your word. Your word is life And you have called us through your word And so this morning As we gather together Around your words That give us life We pray for ears to hear And not only that But hearts to follow And not only that But lives and bodies that will obey And God I ask this morning For the gift of preaching God, we confess that we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that's out of your mouth. Thank you, Jesus, for being our life. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I grew up in the 1980s, and I love the movie Rad. Anybody remember this movie? No one? No one? You gotta go back and watch it. This movie was about BMX dirt bike racing and I love this movie. I mean, these guys could do on a bike what you could only imagine could be done at a circus. They had tricks, I mean they raced. There's even a scene where uh, I think they're, they're at a dance and they start dancing but they're on their bikes and they're doing these amazing things. There's this other scene where they're at this, this big logging mill and they're riding and jumping over all these piles of logs and oh man the jumps. These guys could jump and do flips and all kinds of stuff. So uh, of course I had, I had my own BMX bike. I had a GT performer. It was awesome and me and my friend Johnny who lived down the street we watched this movie together and we wanted to be Crew Jones, who is the main character in the movie. So, we spent about 2 or 3 hours. We found the wood, we found the hammer, we found the nails and we constructed an awesome ramp. So, my friend Johnny went first. He got his BMX bike, drove wrote, rode his bike about, oh, I don't know. 30, 40 yards to get some good speed up to the ramp. And he hits the ramp and lands it. I said, how was it? He goes, dude, it was awesome. It's your turn. So I got to confess, I was a little nervous. But I had great hopes of being Crew Jones. So I got back on my GT performer and I rode and I hit that ramp And I soared like a bird. Only problem is my bike did not soar with me. And when I hit the concrete, I think I bounced three times. That day, I lost all hope of being Crew Jones. I think many of us have lost hope in the idea of the reality of unity. Or at least we're tempted to lose hope. Because for many of us we've tried and we've tried and we've tried and we've tried over and over again to bring peace and reconciliation and unity and we've been burned. And sometimes it's because of what we've done. We look back and go, oh, I was an idiot. It's my fault. And maybe hindsight's twenty twenty. But there's other times that you just can't get people to stay together. You just can't get them to be unified. And you lose hope. For those of us that grew up in Churches of Christ, that grew up in this fellowship of Churches of Christ, you may know our history a little bit, particularly one man named Alexander Campbell, who felt this call. One of the things he felt was this call to unity, to unify Christians, particularly in North America, but around the globe, and he thought, we'll do this by restoring the New Testament church as we find it in the New Testament. He spent all of his life, his adult life in the 1800s, working towards this unity because he believed that if we could become unified, that the purposes of God could manifest themselves in the world. And he believed this with all of his heart. He gave all of his life to it. And at the very end of his life, the Civil War broke out. he was devastated. All that he had worked for, all of this unity that he was working for, poof. And at the end of his life, he lost hope. Ephesians talk about the causes of why we lose hope. In fact, Paul calls it this. He says the reason we lose hope in this idea of unity is what he calls the dividing wall of hostility. Now for Paul, Paul was referencing the law or specifically one thing about the law, circumcision in the law. He says he's not rejecting the law, but he says this becomes a dividing wall. And the reason is this. It's because Jews are hostile to Gentiles because they don't keep the law. Ah, no. Can't be with them. And Gentiles are hostile to Jews because they don't understand. Like, what are what is this? What are they talking about? Why would I need to do this? And so over time, over years and years and decades, centuries, a thousand years and more, they settle into patterns, they settle into seeing each other in this way. And they say, this is how the world is. But the wall of hostility is not just the law. It just happens to be that for Paul in this text. That the wall of hostility is anything that divides us. It's anything that works against God's eternal purpose of gathering up all things and bringing it all together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We feel it all the time. The walls that go up between people. Whether it's because of pride, whether it's because of a certain issue, whether it's because of lack of humility, whether it's because of you name it. Is the walls that keep us imprisoned in our hostility and division. It's the settled way that we see each other and that we see the world. My opinion, one of the greatest movies ever made is the Shawshank Redemption. Can I get an amen? Hey, there you go. I knew I'd get some amens. And while that is a story of hope, it is a fantastic and amazing story of hope. It's also a story about the enemies of hope. Andy Dufresne is the main character in the movie, but there are a couple other characters, including his good friend Red, and then another gentleman by the name of Brooks. And Brooks, Brooks has been in prison for a long time. If you don't know the movie... It's a movie about a man named Andy Dufresne who gets wrongly accused and convicted of, of killing his wife and another man and he's sent to the prison of Shawshank. When he arrives there, he meets these other characters and it just so happens that everybody's innocent in Shawshank, don't you know that? But there's one particular man, he's an old man, his name is Brooks. And Brooks has become pretty settled with the wall around him. He's become at peace with his surroundings and with the walls that entrap him. So much so that they use this symbolic, uh, this symbolic thing where he finds a young raven, a bird, and he brings the raven in and he feeds the raven and he domesticates the raven And instead of sending the raven free, it's symbolic of his own coming to terms with being walled in, with being settled, and just thinking this is the way it is. And he's become so settled with his circumstances and so content and just like, this is is my life, this is the way the world works, this is how it is, is that when he gets a chance to get outside of the walls, when he gets a chance to go on on probation and go on parole, he threatens to kill one of his friends named Haywood. He puts like a pick to his neck and all the friends have to come in and, and talk him off the ledge. And he's holding him by the neck and he's like, I'll do it, I'll do it and Andy Dufresne looks at Brooks and he says, Brooks, look, Hayward's bleeding. This is your friend. Eventually, Brooks lowers the pick It begins to cry. Soon after that, all of Brooks' friends are out in the yard. Andy Dufresne's there, they're outside. Red, their friend, is there. And Hayward says that man oh man is crazy he's lost his mind. In defending Brooks' crazy outburst, Red says this. The man's been in here 50 years, Hayward. 50 years. This is all he knows. Then he goes on to say this. He goes these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. He says, that's institutionalized. He says, what Brooks is experiencing is institutionalism. He's been institutionalized. Because when you get come in these walls, they're really funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Then you depend on them. And being institutionalized like this, it makes Brooks so wholly unready for a life outside these walls that he can't handle it. Ends up dying by suicide. So later on, Mandy Dufresne is sitting with Red and his friends in the cafeteria. And they're talking about hope. And they're talking about Brooks. And they're talking about the way life is, and here's how their conversation goes. Here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. Forget. Forget that. There are places in the world that aren't made out of stone. That there's a there's something inside that they can't get to. That they, they can't touch. It's yours. What are you talking about? Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. We better get used to that idea. Like Brooks did. of hostility. They're funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get to depend on them. Like Brooks, Red was struggling with the walls that imprisoned him, He had learned to depend on them. It was the settled way that he saw the world. The walls had imprisoned him, and he saw no way out. And once you settle within the walls, and it is all that you see, then hope is useless. As Red says, it's a dangerous thing. I think like red, we struggle with the walls of hostility that imprison us. We have learned to depend on them. It was the settled way that we are tempted to see the world. It is the way that we are tempted to see each other. It is the way it is, we say. This is how the world is. There's no way out. And I want to say to you today, that the book of Ephesians is saying this. It's saying that the rulers and authorities that the book of Ephesians talks about, the rulers and authorities want to institutionalize us to the walls of hostility, to where we depend on. To where we can only see each other in terms of hostility or threat. The rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, as Paul says, want to institutionalize us to the walls of hostility. To where there's no hope left. Until the wall... Of hostility makes us hope, hope useless and a dangerous thing. But the hope of God's people has always been twofold. Going back even into the Old Testament, the hope of God's people has always been twofold. And the first part of that, the first part of, of, of Israel or God's people's hope is that they have a hope in a Messiah who God will send and empower to enact a new age that God has promised. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, 14 through 16, it says this. Paul says it this way about that hope. He says, for the Messiah is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. The new age where God's peace reigns and there is true unity. That is the hope of God's people. That God will send his Messiah to do these things. To bring in an, an age of peace and to tear down the dividing wall of hostility. I was teaching the book of Ephesians several years ago. I was invited by a good friend of mine who was a minister in a church just outside of Portland, Oregon. And they did their yearly retreat. And they did it in this beautiful spot in Camp e. M Hill. If you're in Church of Christ in the Northwest, you're gonna know Camp e. M Hill is a place where youth went for years. It's a gorgeous place. And I remember teaching on this idea in Ephesians. And from this very, this very text, Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, and talking about the Messiah that came to bring peace and he destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And talking about how he made the two, hum- two, two groups one, new humanity, and reconciled them to each other, and then reconciled them to God, by which he put to death their hostility. And I remember looking at most people in the room, they look like us. And like most times, I wonder, are they getting this? Because they looked at me like most of you are looking at me. And maybe you get it and maybe you don't but I look out and I just wonder I don't know if they're getting this. And then there's one man that slowly raised his hand. He looked a little different than everybody else in the room. The man sitting in there while most of them look like us this man was from Palestine he was a Palestinian and he raised his hand he says I have lived most of my life in Palestine I know what you're talking about there are walls between the Jewish people and Palestinians I know that hostility. And with tears streaming down his face, he says, what you are talking about, this Messiah that you are proclaiming today, this is my greatest hope. Someone that can come and tear down the walls of hostility, between two groups, and make peace, he said, this is what salvation looks like to me. Not spiritual, literal, in the flesh. Because if there was peace, there would literally be salvation from my family, from my friends, and from all the people that live on the other side that consider me an enemy. And everybody in the room, as he talked and he cried, slowly just looked at him. And then they looked back at me. And they began shaking their heads. That is my greatest hope. For that is what salvation Not only have God's people hoped for a Messiah, the second part of their hope looks like this. They hope in a future where the mystery of God's new world will be revealed to the rulers and authorities that are bent on keeping things the same way. And Ephesians affirms that God has already begun doing this, revealing that future in Jesus Christ. But he goes on to say this in Ephesians chapter 3, 8 through 11. Paul says, The grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. And his intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. If the rulers and authorities want to institutionalize us to the walls of hostility, here's what the gospel does. Here's what the gospel of hope does. It's that the mystery of God's new world that God is creating is being revealed to the rulers and the authorities in and through the church. Christ has already begun this work, but this is what Paul says to you and I, is that God's promised future, His preferred present, the way He wants it to be now and his promised future the way it will be is being revealed to the rulers and authorities through you and me he's saying take note those of you are bent on institutionalizing humanity to the walls of hostility mysteries reveal God's future has already begun and has continued to be worked out through the witness of the church. The dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed and God's purpose of unity is being enacted. This is God's future unity. This is the hope that we share together. But hope is not just a religious sentiment. Hope is not just wishful thinking. Hope is about living differently in the world. That's what biblical hope is. It's about living differently. And after making all the arguments and all the pleas, and after writing all of this in the letter to the Ephesians, he ends with this call to unity And he says this, he gives some very practical ways that we could live out this hope. Ephesians 4, 22 through 32 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He goes on to say, go to the next slide therefore therefore each of us should put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body in your anger do not sin do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they might have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. but only what is hopeful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God when you don't feel or see the unity. Because you were sealed by the Spirit for the that day of redemption. And get rid of all bitterness, get rid of all rage, get rid of all anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. And maybe above all, be kind. Be compassionate. forgive each other for we can't reveal the mystery of God's wisdom of unity without forgiving each other and we can only do this because Christ forgave us like Andy Dufresne The church embodies and reveals hope. We just don't reveal that to ourselves. But to all those who had come to depend on the walls of hostility. To all those who are imprisoned and have been convinced that this is just the way the world is. the church also embodies and reveals hope to the rulers and authorities. Those here on earth and those in the heavenly realms that are bent, that are wholly bent on institutionalizing us to the walls of hostility. So that's all we see. It's the only way we can see one another. And we throw our hands up and say, that's just the way the world. Later in the movie, Andy Dufresne writes a letter to his friend, Red. When Red finally gets it, he reads it. And Andy says this to his friend, Red. Hope, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. Paul is writing a letter to you and I today, the book of Ephesians. In chapter 118, he says this, I pray that your eyes, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have been called. God is called.